I want to ask you a question as you get your Bibles open to Isaiah 55. Someone's got the joy of the Lord. <laughs> How many believe God created the earth in six days? Anybody have a problem with that? It wasn't 6,000 years. It wasn't a million years. How many days was it? Why? Because God said. Good answer. How many believe Jonah was swallowed by a whale? Why? Got any problems with that? All right. How many believe Jesus fed 5,000 men and their wives and children with two, two fish and five loaves? Anybody got a problem with that? Why, why is that true? Because the Bible says. Amen? You know, there's a lot of people, when they talk about the Bible, they'll try to take those stories and they'll try to change them or they'll try to say that they're just an example or just an idea. But we need to take the Bible literal for exactly what it says. Amen? And I want to talk tonight about the Word some more and I want to talk about it being a stable source in this shaky world. Amen? Stable source in this shaky world. How many know tonight that even though everything right at this moment seems very normal, that we're every day closer to something being shaken? Okay, the world knows that. We know that. We're in a time right now where it's just interesting. We're in a beautiful part of the year, my favorite part of the year. How many love this part of the year? Amen. It's getting cooler. Every day that goes by, it's like I'm getting closer to heaven. Amen. No hot. Pretty soon these ACs won't have to be on. Amen. But every day that's going on, we know that, that there's stuff going on. Even though it's kind of quiet, we know that there, Russia's still in Syria. We know that every day they're talking about the economy being very unstable and at any moment can collapse. And so there's a lot of uncertainty. And, and we know that one day, biblically, things are going to change. And we know that in any moment, things could change. But how many know that no matter what happens, we have a stable source right there in your hands? In the word of God. Amen. So if you're taking notes, I have a stable source in this shaky world. Okay. And I want you to look at the Bible like that tonight. I want to tell you just how powerful the Bible is. I want to read a few things before I get into the message. There was a thing that talked about science confirming the Bible. Now the world in general looks at science and, and listens to science, scientists and we're just intrigued by them because they're so smart. Amen? And the Bible says in Isaiah, you don't have to look at this. You can write them down if you want, but this is not part of the message. This is just leading in. Isaiah 40, 22 makes a statement. The Bible makes a statement that the earth is round. It says the earth is a sphere. Okay? Now, how many know for a long, long time it was debatable and people thought that the earth was flat? And science even said the earth is a flat disk. Okay? That, that's what science said. So my thing here says what the Bible says. Then it says what science used to say. And then it says what science says now. Okay? So the Bible said in Isaiah 40, which was 2,700 years ago, that the earth was a sphere. I wonder how he knew. And then science said earth is a flat disk. Now, science says, the earth is a sphere. So now that they say it's a sphere, it's a sphere. Jeremiah 32, 22. 33, 22, story says, 
that there is an innumerable amount of stars in the universe. Innumerable means you cannot count them. Right? Can't count them. And so that's what the Bible said 2,700 years ago. And science said that there at one time was only 1,100 stars. Science. 1,100 stars. Guess what science says now? There's an innumerable amount of stars. So everybody says, wow, science is smart. In Job 26, oldest book of the Bible, thousands of years old, Job made a statement through the inspiration of God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Watch this, that the earth floated in space. It just hung there. Okay, isn't that amazing? Job said, a matter of fact, if you read the book of Job again, you'll see some amazing stuff in Job. Amazing stuff, right? And so he, he mentions that, he says, and these are exact words. You can look at these verses later. Job 26, verse 7, says that the earth is, is, is floating in space, and it's, on, it's, it's not hauled up by anything. And, okay, this is just stupid. This is what it said, though. Science said that one time that earth sat on a large animal. Science. Okay? Science. Guess what they say earth does now? It floats in space. <laughs> Hebrews 11.3 says creation was made of an invisible elements. Okay? Basically made from nothing. Science was ignorant on that subject. They didn't have anything to say. Now, they, science says creation is made of invisible elements. They're called atoms. Y'all following me? I'm only going to do a couple more because I have a lot. Just as an example to show you the power of what you have in your hand. More powerful than science. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, verse 41, that every star of those innumerable stars is different. Every star is different. And science said, no, all stars are the same. All 1,100 of them are the same. Guess what science says now? Each star is different. Job 38, 19, and 20 says that light moves. Light moves. Science used to say that light was fixed in a certain place. Now science says light moves. Scientists should just read the Bible. We could, we could free everybody of their jobs. They could just read the Bible, take the Bible literal, and we wouldn't need scientists. We just call them goddesses, Bibleists. Right? I'll give you one more. This is interesting. Also in Job, air has weight. All of you that are in school recently, this would make sense. Air has weight. Science used to say that air was weightless. Guess what? Guess what science says now? Air has weight. It's crazy when you pick up one of those things, like a, a helium thing. It's real heavy. It's just air, but it has weight. Let me give you one more. Leviticus 17, verse 11. Blood is the source of life and health. Scientists used to say sick people must be bled. Now they say blood is the source of life and health. I have a lot more, but I wanted to start off by you understanding tonight that we have a Bible in our hands that is God's written word. Amen? And it's perfect, and it's unchanging, and it doesn't lie, 
and it's been around since before there was anything in existence. And if we'll just listen to that, listen, we have more power in this Bible that's in front of us right now than any scientist in the world. And I want to remind you tonight, and I might quote them in a minute tonight in my message if I get to it. I want to remind you that one of the greatest minds of our entire existence, Isaac Newton, was a Bible-believing, Jesus Christ-believing person. One of the greatest minds of all time was a Bible scholar. Amen? So I want to look at Isaiah 55, 11, our stable source in a shaky world. And what I want you to have by the time we leave tonight is faith, just like on Sunday morning, I gave some examples of some miracles so that you would have faith to believe for your healing, for your deliverance, for whatever you needed. I want you to have faith tonight as you walk out that you have a source in your hands that is a stability in a shaky world. Okay? So no matter what comes your way, no matter what you face, no matter what problem the devil throws at you or life presents to you, I want you to learn to go to the Bible for the answer. Okay, I don't want you to go to a counselor. I don't want you to come to me. I don't want you to go to a friend. I'm not saying you can't have counsel, but I'm telling you your answer is in the word of God. How many know we got a, a world full of problems today and, and every day people are talking about their problems and talking about their situations, talking about that they don't have a fix and this and that. How many know the answer is in the Bible? Just can't get these people to read it. We talked about that Sunday that we are really an illiterate generation, right? We're an illiterate generation. We don't read like we used to and it's, a lot of it has to do with technology. But look at Isaiah 55, verse 11. Give me an amen if you're there. I really think this message, if we just take a few minutes tonight, it'll really help you. Let's pray real quick. Father, just anoint your word tonight. Father, it's a Wednesday night. And Lord, we're here because we want to learn. We're here because we're hungry. We're here because we're not satisfied with what we know, Father. We want to know more. Jesus, you're the king of this place. You're Lord of this house. Walk the aisles and touch us tonight. Holy Spirit, anoint the words out of my mouth to, to touch the ears of your people and let the word penetrate deep down inside and let them live it, Father, tonight so that we won't sin against it. And Satan, you are not welcome in this place and you are defeated and you cannot come against the word of God in any way. And if you try, we come back at you with the word again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 55, 11 is one of my favorite scriptures. I, heard, I saw some people quoting this week and it excited me about having go-to scriptures. We talked about that on Sunday, having a go-to scripture. Amen. Having some go-to scriptures. I hope since Sunday you've found some go-to scriptures, some scriptures that you can go to in a situation. This will be one of the best ones you can go to for general things. Isaiah 55, 11. But so shall my word, now look at this, my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me, what? Void. But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. What is it? My word. God speaks, something happens. Go all the way back to Genesis. God spoke, something happened. Can you say amen? amen? Come on, right? He said, let there be light, and there was light. So 
we need to understand that that same power that's in the voice of God to speak light into existence is in your voice tonight to speak over a situation. Amen? We need to understand the power of the word and the power of speaking the word. Now, for anybody that doesn't know, I want to give this paragraph. I haven't given it for a while to understand how amazing the Bible is. How many run into people sometimes and you see them say, or hear them say, I should say, can't see them say, hear them say, man, the Bible's written by man, man, it's manipulated, it, this and that, they got all these different things they want to say. You know what I say? I say, let them say all that they want. But let's go ahead and get into a debate. Let's go ahead and look at what these men said. Let's go ahead and look at what the manipulation was. And as I look at the Bible, I don't see something manipulated by man. I see something written that is impossible to be written by man. It's too good. It's too perfect. It's too real. How many began to read the Bible enough to realize it's too much to be a man's, any, any man to take glory for it? So go ahead and let them say what they want. You know why they say that? Because they don't want to live for God. They say that because they want to justify their sin. They say that because they don't want to listen to what the Bible says. But listen to this. The Bible is an ancient collection of writings. Now that might bore someone right there if we just left it there. An ancient collection of writings. Well, there's all kinds of ancient collection of writings. Comprised of 66 books. Not 60, not 70, 66. Amen? which was written over a time period of 1,600 years. That's a long time. Meaning from the, from the very day that the first words were written of Job, we know that Job is the oldest book in the Bible, until the word was written at the very end of Revelation chapter 22, which is the last verse of the, of the Old New Testament, we know that when he said, do not add or take away from this book, when that was written, it was 1,600 years of time. That's a long time. I mean, that's a long time to write a book. Now, that would be impossible by one person, of course. But then when you add in the fact that 40 different people wrote this book over 1,600 years, it makes the Bible not to me, listen, if you really think about it, it doesn't make the Bible to me something that's, wow, manipulated by man. To me, it makes the Bible something more amazing. Here's why. If we were to walk outside tonight and to witness, God forbid, some kind of crash outside on the street, every single one of us in here tonight would have a different story of that crash that happened. Even though we all say in the same crash. And maybe three or four weeks from now, if someone were to ask us about the crash, we ourselves might say a different story than what we saw three or four weeks ago. And every time that time would go on, or a person would, or every time you would tell the story, how many know that when you tell a story yourself, it begins to grow anyways? Amen. My wife would say, I evangelistically say every story. Amen. If you're, if you're a preacher, you always add a little bit of emphasis to it anyways. Amen? How many are following what I'm saying? When you get people involved, things actually get more messed up. The more hands you get in the recipe, the more bad it tastes. But for some reason, God pulls this all together with 40 different writers, 1,600 years, 40 different cultures, and 
39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New, and it's written uh, over that 1,600 years, and somehow, some way, it comes together, and people say, well, the Bible contradicts itself. No, it doesn't. We contradict the Bible. If you ever have taken the time to take the whole Bible together like a puzzle, it makes a perfect picture. And the more, listen, the more you study the Bible, the more you read the Bible, the more you look at the scriptures of God and the word of God, the more your faith arises. And the more you realize this was not written by man. This was written by God through man. Here's, here's a few questions people have, and I'm going to answer them tonight. Get ready to take notes. People have questions like, why are there so many books? Why do we have to have, like, programs and seminars and Bible studies and so many different Christians teaching so many different things about the same book? Does the Bible really need to be interpreted by scholars before it's understood is another question. Another question is, is the Bible sufficient in itself to teach us all we need to know about God and his will for our lives. And the fourth question would be, how do we know for sure that we can trust the Bible fully? How do we know? Those are some questions that people would ask. Well, like I always say, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to answer them. Number one, if you're taking notes, out of these things that are critical questions, I want you to know that the Bible answers them all. Okay? Okay? Let me just reiterate the questions. Why are there so many books? Do we, need, do we need programs and seminars to learn it? Does the Bible need to be interpreted by scholars before it's understood? Is the Bible sufficient in itself to know God fully? And the last one, how do we know for sure we can trust this Bible all the way? I mean, those are critical questions. Four things in particular will help us tonight to get a firm conviction that the Bible can be trusted. Number one, God himself... God himself makes himself equal to his word and his word equal to him. God himself. There's no better person to defend his word than God himself. Man seeks, listen, to place the word of God, the Bible, on an equal status with the writings of men. That's what man tries to do. How many know that when we get involved, things get messed up? Some scholars choose to respect the Bible only because it's old and historical. I've told you before when I've preached about the Bible that the New Testament, and this ought to raise your faith, is the most verifiable manuscript in the history of the world. There is no other manuscript in the world more verifiable of being real than the New Testament. And I don't remember the numbers tonight, but there was some book by Gomad... Gomer, what is it? Gomad or Gomer? Which one is it? Gomer or something like that. Gomad? Gomer. That's the, that's the second one. And there's like 500 or something of those manuscripts. And there's thousands and like 25,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. Just so you can see where second place is the first. So if you have any doubts tonight that the Bible is verifiable, it is a, a historical fact that the New Testament is the most verifiable document ever written. Okay? That enough in itself should give us faith. But the thing when we look at the Bible, is, as we begin to look at it and realize, is relationship with the Lord, our relationship with God, draws us to a place of greater understanding. 
If you look at the Bible religiously, or if you look at the Bible from an from a, a, a intellectual fact alone, there is a place for that, and there is a, 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 a place that God uses that for, because God is the, the greatest intellectual there is. So he can be reached on that place, but it's even greater when you reach the Bible on a personal relationship level. And what I love is that God can meet anyone anywhere with the Bible. If you have somebody, watch this, you have somebody that's not smart, you have somebody who is not educated, you have somebody who does not have a degree, you have somebody that doesn't even know how to read, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the word of God can become life to them. Then on the whole other side of the spectrum, if you have someone who has degrees and MDs and bachelors and all kinds of studies and is a genius, it can, God can reach them there and go beyond them even so to that person as well. God's word reaches everybody. It reaches everyone. It can reach the, 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 uh, the smart and it can reach the dumb. I'm the dumb, amen? I'm not on the smart side, I'll say that. I'm not, I'm not the sharpest knife in the door, but I'm not the dullest either. How many, how many would put yourself in that position? So they go by history and equity, and, and, and they, they, they kind of like to relate it to mythology because it's been around so long, but they deny the nature of it being God. Okay? Kind of like Philippians says, denying the power thereof. This is not God's viewpoint because John 1, 1 says, in the beginning, <clears throat> what? Was the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Boom. He makes it equal to himself. I'm going to show you who the Word is. I'm the Word. I'm going to show you when the Word was, when I was. I'm going to show you who the Word is. I am. I am the Word. I was the Word. I'll always be the Word. I made the word, I am the word, I am, I am, I am, he is, he was, he's there. Y'all following that? He's always been, he always will be. So he says, when I was, the word was. And when the word was, I was. In the beginning, when things were created, was the word. The word of God is a person. Have you looked at, that, at, that, at, at God that way? He's a person. Why? Because he, he, the Bible says that the word became flesh. So when you look at it like that, it changes your perspective on how you see it. Are you, are you reading the Bible as just some, wow, nice sounding story? Or are you reading the Bible as you're reading God? It's not our choice to value the Bible as just some document. It's our choice to look at God's word through relationship. Listen to this. Write this down. Reading the Bible... Without meditating on it, that doesn't mean you cross your legs and put your fingers together and go, hmm, not that meditation, okay? Meditating means thinking about it and reading it and rereading it and understanding it. Reading the Bible without meditating on it is like trying to eat without swallowing. Think about it. Reason number two. God himself claims the Bible's authorship. God himself says, I wrote this. We can trust scripture because God said he wrote it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, 
all scripture is given by inspiration of God. If God says he inspired this word and it's given by him, that's what it means. It's God's word. And the word inspiration means breathed. So read it again. All scripture is given by the breath of God. Think about it that way. He spoke it and it became. So what you're looking at tonight is, even though it's been touched by man, so to speak, it's gone through a printing press or whatever, that's God's word, breathed. We're reading the breath of God. Amen? How many have ever been on a, done it on a mirror, written on a mirror, and then you breathed on it and it, you see the letters? That's how you can picture that. God breathed the word, and it became visible. We are reminded by Peter in the Bible, in 2 Peter 1, 21, it says, For the prophecy... That's all the scriptures came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Okay, I'm going to read that again. This is Peter's words. Second Peter 1.21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I guarantee you that no writer of the Bible, David, Paul, Peter, Job, Moses, no writers in the Bible sat down and said, you know what, I think I'm going to write something for God. None of them did that. The Bible says they were compelled by God to write those words. I mean, think about this for a second. Have you ever done something for the Lord now that you've been saved? And when you do it, you look back and you go, I did not do that in a good way. I did not say that. I did not think that. I, did, I don't know how I did that. Have you ever done something and someone said, how would you do that? And you honestly don't know how you did it. You just know it was God. So there's an idea of exactly what happened. All of a sudden, they just begin to write. And you can just almost see, probably, as the, many of these men were uneducated men. Some of them were fishermen. Amen. They began to write and their hands are moving and they're probably thinking, what in the world am I doing? And they're probably thinking, I'm not thinking this. And their hands are moving. And then after a while, they realize, "Okay, God, you're doing this. All right, let me. Okay. They don't even know what they're doing, but they're being inspired and compelled by God to write what God says to write. No more and no less. How many have ever been under the conviction and the fear of God in a reverent way, in a holy way, and you just knew I can't do this or can't say this any other way than what God said? That's how those men were writing the Bible. They weren't going to mess with what God was saying. They weren't going to write what wasn't supposed to be written. Remember, it was even said in the book of John, he said, if I was to write all the things that were supposed to be written down, all the things that could have been written down, all the libraries in the world wouldn't hold the books. So why are all the libraries in the world not filled with books? Why is it just 66? Why is it just this Bible? Because that's what God said. He said, I want you to put this together, and this is going to be my manual. This is going to be the, the Old Testament. This is going to be the New Testament, and I want you to put it together, and this is what's going to make sense. This is what I want to use for my manual for my, for my people. How many know God is big enough to protect his word? Amen. Do you know that all throughout history this thing's been tried to be destroyed? 
over and over again and they can't do it, it is still the all-time number one bestseller ever. Even though we're reading it less today than we should, it's still the all-time number one bestseller. I want you to think about this statement by A.W. Tozer. How many have ever heard of him? He has about a billion great sayings. Here's one of them. The Word of God understood and obeyed. The Word of God understood and obeyed. How many know you can't have the Word work if you don't obey it? Pastor Andrew said that at the offering tonight. Obey what God says. A.W. Tozer says, The Word of God understood and obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. I'm going to say that again. Let it sink in. I read the word, I understand it, and then I obey it. How do I know I'm understanding it? I obey it. I do it. I'm not just a hearer of the word, I'm a doer of the word. So he says the shortest route, how many want to be spiritually perfect tonight? All right, the rest of you, I don't know what you want to be. Spiritually imperfect? I'll do that again. How many want to be spiritually perfect? Okay, I thought so. I know you were just... Wednesday night, brain freeze for a second. If you want to be spiritually perfect, read the word, understand it, and obey it. And you're walking in spiritual perfection. Now watch this. Here's the warning. We must not select a few passages of the scriptures to the exclusion of others. Let me give you the answer why the world's wrong today and why churches are wrong and why things are not the way God wants them to be. Because we select a few verses we like and we exclude the verses we like. Anybody in their right mind would say, I'm going to include heaven, but I'm going to exclude hell. I'm going to include love, but I'm going to exclude hate. Right? I mean, that's what carnality would do. And, that, and when carnality gets involved, we begin to take scriptures that fit us and exclude the ones we don't like. And that's how uh, cults are born, and that's how denominations are born, and that's how religions are born, because we exclude what we don't want and include what we do want. And once you begin to manipulate the Word of God, instead of just obeying it, trouble happens. So he says we must not select a few verses to the exclusion of others. Listen, nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Am I a complete Christian tonight? Only you can answer that. How do I know I'm a complete Christian? I completely obey the Bible. If I don't obey at all, I'm not a whole Christian. Amen. Here's another example. Picture a harp of a thousand strings. That's the Bible. A harp of a thousand strings. If you play on one to the exclusion of the relationship it has to others, you will develop discord. Play that harp and only pick the ones you want. It's not going to sound right. That's obvious. I mean, oh, if you've ever seen or heard a harp, it's all the way down. It sounds amazing when it starts at one end and ends at the other. They know how to touch it right, pressure and all that. But if you were to exclude, it wouldn't sound right. 
But when you do it correctly and play on all of them, keeping their, them in their places and in their divine scale, you will hear heavenly music all the time. God wants us to play the Bible with all the chords. Amen? He wants us to read it as it is, and he doesn't want us to skip over the things that we don't like. So, number two, God's claim is his, he, he said, I wrote the Bible. Number three, God says himself that his word is the standard for truth. Now, we have a lot of religions and a lot of beliefs in the world, but how many know that no matter how many there are, there can only be one right? Now, lots of people would say we're right. Most people don't say we're wrong. They believe they're right. But even if, if they say they're right, there can still only be one right. There's only one truth. Think about computers. There's Dell. There's IBM. There's Sony. There's Hewlett Packard. There's whatever else you have at the house. There's now Acer. There's all these off-brands. How many know there's only one original computer who was it apple right one original you can only have one original of something now the rest might work but they're not the original who's the best person to talk about how a computer should work the one who invented it there's lots of cars today that we drive every day there's new brands there's still only one original who made the original car henry ford Who's the best person to talk about cars? Henry Ford. Why? He made the first one. Who's the best person to talk about creation? The one who made it. Who's the best person to talk about life? The one who gave it. The best author of our lives is the one who made our lives. God. Go to the source of truth. You want the truth? Go to the source. And we're going to the source in the word tonight. And God says, I claim my word as the standard for truth. Romans 3, 4 says this word. Very short, good one to memorize, good go-to verse. Let God be truth and every man be a liar. Amen. Let God be truth and every man be a liar. So it doesn't matter what people say or people think or people believe. We as believers just have to say, listen, I, I know that this is going to cause friction between us. I know this isn't going to be popular. I know that you might not like me. I don't want you to think I dislike you, but the Bible says this. And just stick to the truth. I posted this today, and I want you to write it down if you didn't get it. People can't change the truth, but the truth can change people. Amen. People cannot change the truth. Truth is truth. No matter how you try to change it or twist it, the truth will always be the truth. And as believers, if we'll just live our lives the best we can to try to live a truthful life, we're going to be walking in the will of God. Do what's right. Not always easy. But if we'll just try our best every day to do what's right, tell the truth, then at the end of the day, we're going to be on the right side of God's will. Let me close with this tonight. Genesis chapter 3, we see Satan doing this very subtly, attacking the truth. This is what man does through the inspiration of Satan. 
If man can be inspired by God, man can be inspired by the enemy. Right? If man can be used by God to write the word, to preach the word, to heal the sick, man can equally be used by the enemy to do the exact opposite. Satan comes in subtly, the Bible says that word subtly in Genesis 3, and he begins to cast doubt. Listen, this goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Truth and doubt. Truth and the lie. God's word, is it or isn't? God says, listen, all this is yours, but you can't touch that one tree in the corner. That's the tree of life, a tree of knowledge. Don't touch it. Touch it. And, and, and Satan comes along and says, does God really say that you can't touch that? He didn't really totally change the truth. He just got her to question it. When you question truth, you're in trouble. Don't question God's word. You can say, God, I don't really understand that. Can you help me with some understanding of some revelation? But don't question God's word. God is not a God to be questioned. Amen? Just do what he said. Just obey. It's like pastor said again tonight at the offering. Well, I don't understand why I got to give 10%. Can I give eight? You can. But you'll be living in disobedience. You give nothing if you want. But God says, tithe. Tithe means tenth. So God says, and I could go down the line of a thousand examples. God, did you really mean this? And God says, yes, I meant what I said. And I said what I meant. Stop trying to twist it. Stop trying to change it. Stop trying to make it uh, uh, to this generation. You know, that's happening too. We're trying to change things so that it fits our generation. No, the generation has to change to fit the word of God. The Bible says that his words are everlasting. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Another way to say that is that there's all kinds of, uh, of things that will come and go. All kinds of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, things that are popular. Fads, thank you. Molas, Spanish. All kinds of fads. What's another word for fad? Like mola. Trends, amen. All kinds of, of things will come and go in our lives, but God's word never changes. And to me, that's another validity of God's truth. Is that the word works today in 2015 when it's rightfully applied. The same way it worked 2,000 years ago when it was written. The same way it worked 1,000 years ago. Here we are reading a book thousands of years old, and our, our generation tells us, now that old stuff don't work no more. Here it is, still working. Why? Because it's alive. It's alive. It's the word of God. It's inspired by God. It is, it is God. Maybe you get that out of this service tonight. It's not just God's word. It's God. That's why we don't get religious about it or get crazy about it. That's why we take care of the Bible. I know when I first got saved, I dropped my Bible once. I was like, oh! That's God. I know it's not literally God, but it's God's word. I wanted to take care of my Bible. I didn't want to just throw it. I didn't want pages to tear. So I know it's not like the Eucharist and the Catholic religion where they believe he becomes Jesus, but it's God's word. And literally, in a spiritual sense, that's God. The word became flesh. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. This is God. When I really begin to think about that, it's God, and not just God's Word, or just something written, inspired by God, and I see it as God, it makes me not want to sin against it, because it's God. Well, I'm not just sinning against, uh, against a man, I'm sinning against God, because that's God's word. He said himself, it's inspired by him. So Satan tries to trick. We know that we use that Sunday night, Jesus uses the word against Satan. Psalms 33, 4 says, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. Amen? This is perfection. This is perfection. This is beauty. This is power. This is life in your hands. Are you looking at the Bible the right way? Are you looking at it as some rule book? Or are you looking at it as life? I mean, no perspective has everything to do with how you grow with God. How are you looking at this word? Because if you're looking at it as a book of rules, you're looking at it wrong. But if you look at it as God, and if you look at it as a mirror, it'll change your life. And you read it, and you don't allow anything else around you to affect what this word says to you. You read it, it's God. It's a mirror, it's life, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it's bread, it's water, it's my lifeline, it's my oxygen, it's my answer, it's my truth, it's my level, it's my balance, it's everything I need. When I look at it like that, it saves me, it draws me to it, it makes me want to live for it, it makes me want to stay right with it. And I don't care what anybody else says, because this right here is God, and this right here, what it says, is what's going to take me to heaven, and I'm going to spend eternity with this, and these rules will always apply to my life. These words will always be life to me. When I separate myself from this God, I die. And that's exactly what Satan wanted them to do. Separate yourself. This is our umbilical cord. Amen. This is our life tonight. There are more sure marks. Listen to what Isaac Newton said. There are more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than in any part of history. Isaac Newton said. Lastly, but not least, number four. God preserves his own word. Amen? God makes himself equal to his word. He says, I am the word. The word is me. Then he says, I am the author of this book. He says, I wrote it. I can stand for it. I can defend it. Then he says, my word is truth. There's no lie in it. And it doesn't change. Then he says, after all that, I will protect it. Is another word for preserve. Amen? Listen to this. You can hold all the critics in the world at bay with a simple belief in God's eternal promise that he would preserve his word. Let me say that again. All these people who say the Bible contradicts itself, all these people who say man wrote it, all these people who say it doesn't make sense or whatever they say, we alone can stand on God's word that says I preserve my word. 
What do we start off with in Isaiah? My word shall go forth and shall do what I said it will do. If God said it, he'll do it. He says no matter what. And the, and the example he gives in that, and I didn't get into it to close, what he says in that is, he says, as the rain comes down from the sky, as the snow comes down from the sky, as nature happens, he says, just as everything happens in nature, so does my word happen. It will do what it says it will do. You realize that there are even some people today in this world who are not even believers in the Bible or believers in Jesus and things they do line up with the word of God and the nature of God's word blesses them? Do you realize that? Because his, his word is life. His word is just like, it's just like the sun going around and the moon going around, the stars being out there. They don't change because of our attitudes here on this earth. Just as the sun and the moon and the solar system moves and nature and spring and summer and fall and winter comes and all these things happen by nature, just because we're acting like fools on this earth doesn't change that. Obviously, God has his wrath sometimes through tornadoes and different things. But the nature of his word is moving and sometimes people are, not even on purpose, living inside of the principles of a truth, and they're blessed. An example of that, again, is giving. There are many people who are not saved and don't go to church, but they give a lot of money to charities. So they're like in this nature of giving and doing the right thing and probably giving way more than 10% of their income and so it's not that God's blessing them because they're doing that. It's just that they're in the mix of this nature of God's word. Does that make sense? It happens. How much more can we see the benefits of God as believers and say, Lord, I'm going to line my life up with your word because your word says that you alone made this, you alone are this, and you alone preserve this. If we believe that God said in the beginning, God said that there be light and there was light, then we must believe it. That same power that he had to say there was light, with the same power he preserves his word. Can't believe, listen, you can't believe that God said let there be light and light came on, but you don't believe he protects his word. You have to believe his word is what it says it is. Psalms 12, last verse I'm going to give you, verse 6 and 7 says, The words of the Lord are pure words. Psalms 12, 6 to 7. The words of the Lord are pure words. This is a good verse. Another go to. Like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, what? The words, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. I'm going to read it again. Listen. The words of the Lord. What are the words of the Lord? Right here. This book are pure words. Like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord, you shall preserve them from this generation forever. Amen. Musicians, you can come. Napoleon wrote this. Napoleon. 
The Bible is no mere book, but a living creature. Now, how many know Napoleon was one of the greatest conquerors ever? Listen to what Napoleon says. Napoleon quoted, The Bible is no mere book. It's a living creature with a power that conquers all that oppose it. That's the great conqueror saying that the Bible conquers. Somewhere along Napoleon's life, he met up with the Word of God and realized he could be de defeat just about anybody, but he couldn't defeat God's Word. How many know Satan has come to that realization? He, he tried to twist it in Genesis. He tried to twist it in Matthew. He's going to try to twist it again on the earth. But he knows deep down inside, I cannot defeat this word. How many have ever heard of Voltaire? He was a French philosopher. Very anti-Christian. Said some really, really bad things about Christians in, in, in uh, uh, specific. Well, I love these quotes. When he was alive, this was in the 1700s, he made this statement. I want to end with this because this is cool. I like when God does cool things. And before I say that, just know if you're living your life right. Pastor always tells me, I remember my pastor always telling me, and it's always stuck in my head, right comes out right. You've probably heard me say that a thousand times because I'm saying that out of the discipleship of my heart. Right comes out right. How many know that? Wrong will come out wrong, and right will come out right. And you do what's right when it seems wrong. But you do what's right, and somewhere along the line, right will come out right. Always. It may, it may, it may be a situation that won't happen until you get to heaven, but it'll come out right. Okay? How many believe that tonight? Right will come out right. So he makes this statement. Another, he says, another century and there will not be a Bible on this earth. That was in the 1700s. We know we have Bibles still. He says, another century is going to pass. And he says it boldly. And listen, if you go read some of his stuff, man, he, I read something before I came out tonight. That I was like, whoa. Strong stuff. God's going to make everybody eat their words. Another century and there will be not one Bible on this earth. So guess what? He thought within 50 years of his lifetime there would not be one Bible in the world. Corey Timboom says, now his house he lived in is a distribution, distribution center for Bibles. Of many languages. That's the God I serve. Someone's like, yeah, go ahead and dare me. Go ahead and say that. I don't, I don't forget anything you said. Then within a century, there'll be no more Bibles. He's dead. His house is full of Bibles. 